Today's reading is a selection of verses from Exodus 13 and 14. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, Horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hathroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and on all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. The Egyptians pursued them. And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them to the sea. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground and with a wall of water on their right and on their left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
Thank you, Kimber, for that reading. Um, I'd also like to thank Kimber and her husband, Dennis, for this bobblehead that they gave me this morning. So, two thank yous to you. Um, I love bobbleheads, and uh, my collection continues to grow. Um, good morning. My name is Eric Balmer. I'm, uh, I'm Beth's husband, if you don't know who I am. Uh, I, I didn't know that was going to be funny. Um, okay. And uh, I'm also happy to be an elder here, and uh, they asked me to, to preach one of these Sundays, so I'm in this series of lay preachers uh, while Lou's gone. So, you just heard, actually, we're going to be reading a lot of Bible today, so if you want a Bible, raise your hand, we have Bibles here, we're going to be flipping through the text quite a bit, so don't be bashful, get a Bible Look on your app. I don't really, I, I like, you know, holding a book and flipping through it, but if you have an app, that's fine. Um, so we're going to be reading a lot of text, so be, be prepared to flip around. Well, what you heard was a, a familiar story. It's the story of Exodus. Um, this intervention of God in history is the most formative event uh, in the life of Israel. It's the most, God... Uh, last week, Daniel, I wasn't here, but uh, I understand Daniel preached on God he, uh, hearing and listening. God comes through in the Exodus. Uh, his work, he hears and he sees and God intervenes. And it is the most formative event in Israel's story and the history of the Jewish people. In fact, to this day, daily, in uh, the Jewish morning service, they, they rehearse this um, in their prayer service. Uh, there is no Judaism uh, without this event. Um, a couple months ago, a man named Rich Rollins preached here, uh, and that Sunday, I went to the Douglas's house, Rebecca and John Douglas, and we were just chatting, and Rebecca said something in the course of our conversation. She really enjoyed Rich preaching, and she said, I was reminded of why um, we chose Jesus when he preached. And it was sort of an off-the-cuff comment for her, but it kind of stuck with me. I thought, ooh, wow. Um, yeah, that's good. So that's what I'm going to try to do today. Um, we, we, you've heard the Exodus story read. Um, how might that story at some level remind us of Jesus? In fact, Jesus in John 5.39 says, the scriptures testify about him. So the question is, in what way does the Exodus story testify about Jesus? How does it point to Jesus? Uh, the, the scriptures reveal the word, and Jesus is the word made flesh. So it is very possible that today the reading of scripture will reveal the word, the living word. So with that in mind, um, what I'd like to do is actually turn to John chapter 6. Um, you're going to be flipping around a wee bit today. So turn to John chapter 6. The Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of in John six, we're going to look particularly at a story that's also probably familiar to you, much like the Exodus of Jesus walking on water. Um, and we're going to look particularly at John six sixteen through twenty one. Now, just uh, the John six at the beginning up to that passage, you have the story of. Of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which happens in all four Gospels. 
And this is, this is a story that it's a miracle of gift or supply. Um, and we, it belongs sort of a, amongst the tradition of the prophets of Elijah and Elisha who provided meal and oil and bread to those in need. And so if you look at the text in uh, 6.14, you'll see that because you have this gift of supply, um, they, they sort of identify Jesus and, and designate him a prophet. So in, in 6.14, uh, it says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, this is the, this is the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So they're sort of identifying him with Elijah and Elisha. Um, and then, in the next, in verse 16, um, they sort of mistake who Jesus is. They're, they're not clear on his, totally understand his identity. And in 15, they basically misunderstand the sign and they want to, to make him a political figure. They want to make him a king. So it says in 15, when Jesus realized that they were about to come, and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again. Uh, sorry, um, they, they wanted to make him king. Um, so they're trying to make him a political figure, and it, it may be the case that the reason they're wanting to make him a political figure is so he'll continue to provide for them. And in the text then says that Jesus withdraws. Um, and this sets up the scene for the walking on the water. Okay, so let's take a look at um, the text now. And what we're going to see in this text is a further revelation of who this person is. Um, a further revelation of this person who, provide, who fed for the 5,000. Um, you're going to see a further disclosure of the identity of Jesus. Okay, so um, let's look at the passage now. 6.16. Jesus withdraws. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. Now, if one reads this story, um, it's, it's a great story. Uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, uh, and at one point in time, I, I, I was raised in an entirely secular home. And at one point in time, a family moved into my street. My parents didn't mention God to me. I had no religious upbringing. Uh, the concept of God was foreign to me. And so a, a family moved into my street. And one day, I was hanging out with one of the boys. He told me, oh yeah, Jesus is this guy that actually one time, uh, one of his disciples cut off somebody's ear. And Jesus picked it up and put it back on. And I, I, I seriously went, What? <laughs> And I was genuinely uh, in awe. I was genuinely in awe. There's actually, I'm kind of grateful for that because um, I experienced sort of the, the wonder and awe of, of the miraculous. It was foreign to me. And then he said, oh yeah, and you know, he also walked on water. 
And I, what? what? People don't do that? And, and, and I was intrigued. At some level, that it's the story in itself is great. Jesus walked on water. But if you, if you read this text without the echoes of Israel's story, of Israel's scriptures, um, we'll mistake this story for just a mere nature miracle. Um, Jesus demonstrating some sort of power uh, over nature, but it's more than that. So, the sea. In the Jewish scriptures, the sea represents chaos. The sea represents evil. The sea represents fear and uncertainty. It's a place, I mean, even if you think way into the future before the world was explored and you look at old maps, you ever see those things where it says, be here monsters, right? The sea is an ominous place and it represented chaos and fear and uncertainty. In fact, you even hear in the Old Testament uh, talk of the Leviathan, this, 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 sea, this monster that lurks in the sea. So when you hear sea with Jewish categories, think chaos, think evil. Moreover, in the Old Testament, Yahweh's authority over the sea is an image of conquest over this evil, over this chaos. Now, notice back at today's passage, if you look at Exodus 14, uh, we read the, the Exodus story, look at Exodus 14, Exodus 14.30 uh, ends to today's passage. Notice the language of conquest. The Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. That's conquest. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then, in fact, they break out in song. And notice, listen to the language of conquest over the waters that you hear in Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. He picked officer, his picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your, with your wind. The sea covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. The prophets, too, speak of the coming day of salvation with sea imagery. Uh, I'm just going to give you a couple examples. Uh, Isaiah 27.1. 
Um, notice how the coming day of salvation is depicted full of sea imagery. I'll just read this to you, Isaiah 27, 1. On that day the Lord, with His cruel and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will kill the dragon in the sea. Uh, and Nahum, Yahweh, overcomes the sea with a rebuke. He rebukes it. It's Nahum 1.4 says, Yahweh overcomes the sea via rebuke. Psalm 29.10, I'll read this one to you too. Notice the image of conquest, enthronement, lordship. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. All right, so a little bit of theology of the sea for you in Jewish thinking. Are you convinced? Yes? Okay. Um, all right, so now let's turn back to John. What, what does Jesus say to his disciples when he's approaching the boat? The boat? In verse 20, you know, they're out in the dark. It says, the text has said they've been, they've been rowing for three or four miles. The sea's rough. It's dark. Jesus approaches. They're terrified. And Jesus says in verse 20, It is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, again, think big picture. When in the, when in the Bible? So I'll ask you two questions. When in the Bible... Are we told to not be afraid? We're told in the Bible not to be afraid when God is present. Angels or God. Correct? So, this is background categories. <clears throat> so Jesus says, It is I, do not be afraid. Now, the word it is I or I am translates the Greek ego and me. It could be it is I or I am. So we're told in scriptures when God is present, when, not to be afraid when God is present. Here's a couple, let's just go with a couple uh, examples. Genesis 26, 24, uh, God speaking to Isaac says, And that very night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. If you look uh, over to Isaiah 41, I told you you guys were going to be doing some flipping. Uh, I've, Isaiah 41, 10. God, do not, do not fear, for I am with you. There it is. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Turn to the next book, Jeremiah, first chapter. This is a familiar passage uh, for some people where you have the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah. In fact, this is the passage a lot of people know. Uh, the Lord says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And if you skip down, God says to Jeremiah in verse 8, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. Okay, second question is, this is probably familiar territory to you as well. How does God reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14? I am who I am. All right. 
So now you have these motifs that are, that are informing the story of what first glance appears to be a mere ma nature miracle. Um, Jesus walking on water. But you have this theology of the sea and of the ocean. You have this, this idea of God's presence. You have Jesus echoing the words of Exodus 3.14. And when Jesus says, it is I or I am, that is an echo of Yahweh's own self-disclosure at the burning bush. What you have happening here is an epiphany. Uh, usually we use the word epiphany as sort of, oh, I had a, a thought dawned on me. But technically an epiphany is the extraordinary appearance of a divine or heavenly figure. An epiphany is an extraordinary appearance of a divine or heavenly figure. And in this, and in this instance, the epiphany is Jesus is, is disclosing himself as the God who, as Job 9, 8 puts it, tramples over the high places of the sea. Jesus, in this passage, is being portrayed as the God who walks on water and whose own self-proclamation is, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus is identifying himself as the God who walks on water and whose own self-proclamation is, I am. Do not be afraid. That puts legs on that story in, in, a, in a different way, right? Now, if you go to the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21... You're give, we're given a glimpse, John is given a glimpse of, of new creation, the eschaton. And we're, we're given a glimpse of new creation in its fullness, right? Jesus has inaugurated new creation, but it's, it's not fully, it's, 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 it hasn't come in all of its fullness, and we get a glimpse of it in Revelation 25. What new creation is going to look like in all of its fullness? When the prayer of heaven on earth meeting totally and exhaustively will actually be the case. So notice in Revelation 21, the first four verses. Again, this is a, a picture of what we get to look forward to. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Uh, and it goes on. You could read it later. But notice, John says, I, see, you know, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the sea was no more. Uh, that doesn't mean literally that there's not going to be a sea in the new creation. What it means is chaos and evil will be no more. What it means is that sin and death and evil and chaos and sadness and loneliness, infidelity, um, racism, rape, anger, violence, will be no more. Jesus will walk on the water and subdue 
chaos and evil. Jesus will destroy chaos. Jesus will walk on water. And he will, he will destroy all monsters of the sea. So that, at some level, is the macro picture of this story. You see this, this miracle, and, and you have these big grand motifs of what God is going to do in history. At some level, there's also a micro level. Um, there's, this weird, there's this weird text in, in John, where in this text it says, and then the boat immediately went to land, which I don't understand personally. I don't know how that works. I don't, I, you know... And I, and I don't even know if this is actually the right interpretation of it, but I take it at some level that when it says that, that the boat immediately went to land, that at some level there's a sort of a kind of a micro-salvation going on there. Um, years ago, I took a sailing course. It was a bad idea. Um, uh, I was younger and more romantic back then. And there was a night at which we went out to sea. And... Um, it was rough. It was scary. Uh, and I was drenched, and I was sick, and I hated it. It was dark. We did night sailing. Um, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be at, on the land. I, I, uh, really, really bad, but we were sort of four hours out, and I couldn't. Um, so the idea of there's some kind of micro-salvation, I guess, I take it. I'm, I don't know if this is the correct interpretation, so you could just bracket this if you want, but there is some kind of micro-salvation going on there. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. You know, I am with you. And don't, in your own lives, don't mistake absence of evidence for evidence of absence. Jesus has promised to be with us. You might not see that he's with you, but he promises you that he is. Um... We're not to fear. We're not to fear because God is with us and will be with us. All right. Now, the last thing that I want to do to close is um, we hear this text in, in the Bible, Be still and know that I am God. And I think that at some level, um, it's important to do that in our lives, to actually be still and know that God is God. Uh, the world does feel chaotic. The world does feel like it's in chaos. And I know that oftentimes I forget to do that, but if I pause and I, I just sit there and I rehearse just that truth that God is God over everything. So... I'm going to read a psalm over you, and before I read the psalm over you, I just invite you now to sort of be still and try to bracket out uh, whatever it is that you're struggling with and rehearse the truth that God is God. You know, it might be that you need to rehearse that the Lord says to you, be still and I am God. And that's being spoken over your relationships. If that be that a relationship with, you know, a brother or a sister or a spouse, 
um, a coworker, somebody that's difficult to get along with, a step parent. God, God is God over that. Um, maybe over your health. Maybe you have anxiety over the economy, your finances, or or debt. Uh, maybe addictions, politics. Maybe your singleness or your loneliness. Maybe your career or your future, your job or your your success. Maybe you're, you have anxiety over God's plan for your life. Even over the loss of a loved one. We're all at sea at some level. Some, some worse than others. I know that. I know some of the things that have gone on in this community. We're all at sea. And this passage is saying, don't be afraid. Don't despair. Don't lose hope. If we lose hope, people, we can't, we can't move forward. If we lose hope, we'll despair. And we need hope. And um, my exhortation to you is to hope in Jesus. Not in a trite way. But either this story is the truth or it's not. And if it's not the truth, well, then I don't understand. I, I see despair. But if it is the truth, we have to lean into that truth. And the truth is that Jesus is identifying himself as the God who conquers chaos and is Lord over all sin, evil, and destruction. And if you find yourself at some level in the sea, and we all have, Jesus is coming to you, and he will come to you fully. Jesus is coming to you, and he will conquer. In fact, he will even conquer death. Death is the final enemy, and at some point in time, Jesus is going to defeat death itself. So I'll pray, and the worship band will come up. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for this community that you've that you've get, that you've blessed us to be a part of. I, I, I'm surrounded by friends. Um, I'm surrounded by people who have, have, have hoped on my behalf, even when I lost hope. Uh, people here have hoped for me, and that's helped carry me through. I pray, Lord, that um, for those in here that lack hope, that even now, Lord, that your word, your scriptures would reveal you the word. Um, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith. Uh, that we would that we would trust and believe and have hope, Lord, that you are Lord of these things and that you will conquer 
and that you will walk upon and tread upon and destroy all the sin, evil, and chaos that we experience. We pray that for ourselves individually. We pray that for this world at a, at a global level. I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd make us a body of people who um, point people to you. I pray, Lord, that you'd make us a body of people that hope on other ch- others' behalf. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that uh, you would be gracious to us and help our unbelief and give us faith and give us hope that you are the God who walks on the sea. And uh, thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, it nourishes us and uh, it sustains us and it holds us. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, root it in us and that it would uh, grow to bear fruit. And in Jesus' name, amen.